Yeah, we went way back to the time of the ancient church, back in the time, I believe, of St. Patrick and all of those others who have passed down their faith to us, praise God. And you know that I think about those old European hymns. Brother Jason, I want you to find an old Ethiopian hymn, amen? So you're going to have an assignment there. And maybe somebody who has a heart for Egypt, find an old Coptic Coptic hymn, Coptic, there we go, because the ancient church actually went to Africa, northern Africa, before it went to Europe. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. So let's know our history. But yes, this goes back to those times. Praise God. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 12, verse 20. Somebody say, glorify your name. Amen. That's the title today as we're going verse by verse through the book of John. We're going to see that Jesus declares to the Father, glorify your name. And that's why Jesus came, was to glorify the name of the Father. As a matter of fact, just go to Philippians chapter 2 so you can see how important it is to glorify his name. And then we'll get into the narrative of Jesus here as he's approaching Passover and crucifixion. But when we look to Philippians chapter 2, go on down a little bit for me, please. Starting there in verse 6, talking about Jesus, it says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Can somebody say incarnation? Thank you. So we're talking about Christ coming from heaven to earth as the God-man, as the one who is fully God, fully man. Now, if you look at verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And that's what's going to be coming up in the book of John here pretty soon. But now look at this, verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of what? Somebody say, Jesus. Come on, Jesus, every knee should bow. Now, do you know that in the name of Jesus is Yahweh? Jesus is a compound name. Yahweh saves. Yahshua. Okay? So in the name Jesus, Jesus in Greek, Yahshua in Hebrew, is the word Yahweh, is the the name of God. And it just means God saves. Yahweh saves. Okay? So they're not in competition. In other words, Yahweh is not in competition with Jesus. Jesus' name has Yahweh in it. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay? So they're not in a competition. The name of Yahweh is still in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, Yahweh saves. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now watch this. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord. Now we know Lord is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is Lord. Where this is coming from, knees bowing in Isaiah, they're proclaiming Jesus is Yahweh. Not Lord just like landlord or Lord of the manor. This is Lord as in Lord God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And it's done to the glory of God the Father. So the Son and the Father are not in competition with each other, and they share the same name. The Son has the right to have the the title be given to him, Yahweh, and to have that in his name, Yahweh saves, okay? And what's beautiful about what we're going to learn today is why why the God-man gets that privilege. You see, Jesus, before incarnation, was always known as the Son. Go to John 1.1, please. He was always known as the Word, the Son. This is uh, before his incarnation. But at the incarnation, he's going to take on a human name. In the beginning was the what? 
the Word, thank you, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, okay? Now go down to verse uh, 18. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, so He can be known as the Word. But now we also see in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only what? Son, who is Himself what? God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. So the Word, the Son, is Jesus Christ in the flesh. Before Jesus came in the flesh, he was known as the Word. He was known as the Son. Go to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4 with me, please. Somebody say, this is extra. Come on, in Creole, this is Lanyap, y'all. Come on. This is Lanyap, little something, something coming a little extra right now. Look at your neighbor and say, this ain't even the message yet. No, I'm kidding. It's going to apply to the message. It's going to apply. But look at Proverbs chapter uh, 30, verse 4. Here we see God, as he did with Job, rebuking the people who think they're smart. This is like in the voice of God here. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has hands and has gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his what? His son, surely you know. In the Old Testament, they knew about the sun. They had encounters with the sun, as I've taught you before in Deuteronomy chapter 18, as well with Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, who we just know is a messenger. Okay, that doesn't mean he's a created spirit being with wings. Angel simply means messenger. So the son has been the messenger of the father since moment one, as we read in John 1.18. No one's actually interacted with the father whenever they saw Yahweh, whenever they saw God at the burning bush or face to face like with Abraham, it's always the son. Can I hear an amen? Amen. But now notice as we get to John chapter 13, or John chapter 12 rather, John chapter 12, verse 28, just, this is going to be the title for our message in the heart and the meat of it. It says, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. The name of the Father is glorified in Jesus Christ, and we need to make sure that we glorify the Father in all that we do, amen? And we do that by glorifying Jesus. When we glorify Jesus, Yahshua saves, we're glorifying the Father, amen? I just wanted to give you guys a little extra. Now let's get to the narrative here. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Man, if I could get an organist up here right now, we're going to write a new song. We would like to see Jesus. I want to see him, want to see him, Jesus, Jesus. Who you want to see? I want to see Jesus. Sometimes you think I'm being fake when I do that, but I would be fake if I didn't do that. Can I be honest with you? If I didn't express what was already in my heart, I would be fake. This, these Greek people came to Jesus and said, we, or came to the disciples and said, we want to see Jesus. That just right there gets me every single time. They came to the disciples and said, we want to see Jesus. I just want to know, is there anybody here today that wants to see Jesus? Is there anybody here that gets a pep in your step when you know now in the new covenant you can see Jesus? You can reach out and touch him, amen? And in the presence of two or three, he's there with us in the church, and he's in our heart, and he's wherever we go, and he never leaves us or forsakes us, amen? They came up to the disciples and said, Sir, you know, one particular, Philip here, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. 
Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn uh, told Jesus here. So they're all getting involved in this. They're going to go talk to Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He just ignores their request. As exciting as it was for these Greek people, probably proselytes, proselytes, I believe is how you pronounce it because you can proselytize and then they're a proselytite. So they've been proselytized by the Jewish faith. They are now um, converted to Judaism, but they are not Jewish by birth, okay? That's why they're still known as being Greeks, but they're coming up there to worship. This disproves what we just uh, dealt with yesterday, the racist black Hebrew Israelite cult. Those guys are just something else, man. They are just ornery. I love them, but they just, they need a few spiritual spankings. They really do. And they always get scary. They always just scurry off like little scaredy cats when we come to them. You almost have to beg them to hang around for a while. You know, they act so tough in their boots and in their fringes and all of those things. And they're always suited and booted up and giving each other secret handshakes and stuff. And they shout really loud when they're on microphones. But when you come to talk to them just one-on-one, they can't do that. They all have to surround you as a group. And then once they realize you know more than them or you have more adequate knowledge than your average, you know, person on the street, then they just move on from you. But they always got to make sure they have out their camera to catch one of their moments, you know, so they can clip it and highlight it to make themselves look good. But you notice here that it wasn't based even on nationality, on who God was dealing with. It was based on those who would keep the law. Now, first and foremost, the law was given to the Jewish people, but the Jewish people were able to take in converts. You could convert to the Jewish religion from any culture. That's why Moses could marry an Ethiopian, okay? They were commanded not to marry from other nations, but he can marry an Ethiopian, and, and Joseph in Egypt can marry an Egyptian if they converted to the faith. Can I hear an amen? And I believe that they did. Obviously, Joseph, who's not going to get it on with Potiphar's wife, is not going to marry a pagan. He's not going to marry somebody worshiping false gods. I mean, this man was willing to lay down his life for, for Jesus, obviously, or God as was revealed to him in the Word at that time. And so we see that the nation didn't even matter back then as long as they came and followed the God of Israel. So we see that this is not a diss towards them. This is not a diss. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in a little bit that Jesus is actually going to hide himself even from the Jewish people by birth. He's, he's on his own mission right now, in other words. But I don't want to move past this and miss the heart of these people coming before the disciples asking to see Jesus. We can never forget how important Jesus is. We can never get to the point where Jesus is just the same old, same old. Like, well, I just go to church, and I talk about this man named Jesus, and that's just what I do, and, you know, he died on the cross for me, and I'm appreciative, you know, that's why I wear a cross, and it becomes superficial. It can never be like that. Imagine what it was like before you became the Christian you are today. Imagine what your life was like and what it felt like to first really meet Jesus and encounter Jesus in the way that you know him now. That's called your first love. You and I should never lose that love. We should always look after Jesus in that same way. And it's the same thing in marriage, too. This is why I always say, um, men, if you don't love Jesus like this, you're not going to love your wife like this. Because if you get bored of Jesus, you're going to get bored of your wife. And women, you need to pay attention to that. A man who can leave Jesus can leave you. Can I hear an amen? See, not everybody in church is really with Jesus. They just come around and they pretend they're with Jesus, but they're cheating on Jesus, okay? And so you got to get this in your heart. Ladies, and I'm, you know, I'm just speaking to you right now as a dude. I'm just telling you, if I ever was not committed to Jesus, the chances I would be committed to my wife is very, very slim. 
Okay? It's almost impossible. Why? Because I wouldn't understand commitment. I wouldn't understand the hard times, the tough times, the way things go that don't go my way, you know, serving and all of those kinds of things. See, Christianity teaches us that. Christianity, Christianity teaches a man how to be the bride, and I'm not talking about transgender stuff here, amen? As, as I always like to say, next time I'm going to get married, I'm the bride, but it's not transgender. It's just to get you to understand like we're getting unified with Christ. We're getting unified, and it's not about sex and it's going to be the ultimate pleasure greater than what we can imagine with sex. Sex is just an introduction, an appetizer to what it's going to be like when we and our souls get united to God and dwell with him. Amen? Trust me, you're not going to be missing sex. You're not going to wish you were a Mormon still having sex after you die or a Muslim, okay? When you're in heaven, you're going to realize that sex was just an appetizer to what your relationship with God is. Amen? But you can have it now in, in God's way. You can use it for glory and bring about, you know, kids and children and these wonderful blessings. But we have to remember there's something greater than that. We're children of God. Amen. And we're meant to be in relationship with God. Now, when, when you see the desire that these, uh, these men have, assuming that they're men, is that they want to be with Jesus. They're willing to accept the, uh, the cultural shame because at that time, it had already been known that Jesus was a troublemaker and that people who would come around Jesus would be put out of the synagogue. And so for them to, to take on that risk and come and request that, that's them paying a price. And so my brothers and sisters, may it never become mundane to us to live for Jesus. May it be the opposite of that. May we always have a first love and a strong commitment to God that's always willing to pay the price. Amen. So going now to Jesus' response, it's not that he's uh, dissing them. It's not that he's going to look down on them because they're Greeks or they're not Jewish by birth. No, he's going to teach a parable, a lesson here that's a greater understanding than just Jesus going to every single person that wants to be with him at that time. And this right here will help us all understand why the Holy Spirit needed to be poured out on Pentecost. When the Son, the Word of God, came into the flesh, He limited His ability to be omnipresent. Remember we read that in Philippians chapter 2. He did not use His divine privileges to His own advantage. So though He never stopped being God, He never stopped having all, know, all knowledge, all power, and being ever-present, He did not access it. He did not use it. It's like you got a bank account. You might have a lot of money in there, but you may not use it every single day. How many live by a budget? Come on. Can I hear an amen from anybody living by a budget? Either y'all not living by a budget in the church or you quiet. You, the shy people living by a budget, okay? The ones not living by a budget, you're loud and ornery. But how many of you, how many of you live by a budget? Can I hear an amen? All right, some responsible people. You're still a little weak, amen. Let me just talk to you for a minute. Live by a budget, y'all. Don't be spending all your money every week, amen? I talked to one brother. He said, it's, it's tough for me now because I asked him how his new job is going. He said, well, I get paid by the month. You know, that's tough for me. And I'm like, yeah, brother, that's, that's part of budgeting, man. You got to learn how to do it. What if you only got paid once a year? Would you know how to take all that money at one time and budget it? Come on, that's a test of your willpower, isn't it? Oh, I just got paid, and you got all this money. You blow it in one month. Come on, help us, Jesus. Don't let the people of this world be smarter than the people of the light, Amen. Jesus is not dissing him. Jesus is, uh, these Greek people, Jesus is not looking down on them. The reality is Jesus can only be at this time because of how he's living as a man, only in one place at one time. So what he is now counting is the cost is to, if I go over here and I go be with them, I'm going to miss this thing over here, and I don't know if I can do that. And then if I go see them, then the next group's going to ask me to go see them. And then so Jesus is just going to be pulled around like show and tell. 
What he's going to teach now is a lesson that we need to understand. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces what? Many seeds. Many seeds. Go to Isaiah 53.10. This right here is going to blow your mind. For some of you, I know others of you got this revelation, but somebody say, I'm part of that many seeds. Ooh, come on. See, Jesus had to die that he could multiply. Somebody might be saying today, oh, I wish I could see Jesus. And let me just tell you, you're going to be their answer. Somebody here may not understand you're going to be the Jesus that they need. They may not want it, but they need it in Jesus' name. Amen. I always tell people I may not be the pastor that you want, but I'm the one that you need. Amen. And so you you may want to go up to the stairway to heaven and go see Jesus, you know, the one and only, the one that nobody else is like in that sense. But what if he, what if he said, I'm like him now and I'm on earth and I'm supposed to be your his representative? I'm supposed to be Jesus to you. You see, the Bible said, go back to it, because I've lost some of you. Some of you already think I'm blaspheming. I'm not. It's Jesus who's talking. He said, if it doesn't die, it remains a single seed. You got a kernel, and if it doesn't go in the ground to die and open up, just to help out some city folks that don't have a garden, that don't know how seeds work, how many know in one sense that seed dies? It, it splits apart. It, it, it goes into the ground and becomes a part of that ground now as it develops a new nature, or I should say a new component of what was already potentially there. It now develops roots, and it begins to get you know, into the ground to have that stem come up, right? Jesus is saying if he doesn't do that, there can't be a tree with many seeds now. You see, if you just have an apple seed and you don't plant it, the apple seed does no good for anybody. It's just, it just remains alone. But if the apple seed goes into the ground and germinates and then becomes the new seedling, the growth of a new tree, that tree can produce many seeds. Amen. All those apples have seeds in them. And so people want to see Jesus, but he's saying, in other words, it's not time for me yet to go to everybody, but I will go to everybody, but I'm going to do it through my people. I'm going to do it through some somebodies. Amen. As the old preacher said, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Amen. I'm a part of the seeds. You're a part of the seeds. Now look at it. Don't just take my word. Go to Isaiah 53 10. This is a prophecy. This was spoken. And even to this day, People misunderstand this in multiple uh, errors because look at what it says about the Messiah. We know it's Isaiah 53. It talks about the Messiah. He's going to take on our sins. You know, he's going to be crushed for our iniquities. But notice what it says here. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And, and, though, the Lord makes his, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he shall or he will see his what? his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. You know where a lot of people got mistaken on this? Is they said, well, he must have hooked up with Mary Magdalene then because if he's going to have some offspring, Jesus got needs. Jesus had to become a man making love to a woman to have offspring. But is that the way he understood it and is that the way he taught it? No, the offspring are spiritual sons and daughters. How do we know? Go back to John now. 
Go back to John. Jesus talking about one seed dying, that there can be many seeds. Isaiah talking about there being the offspring of God. Now go to John chapter 1, verse 5. How does this thing start off? How does it tell us that we're going to become a part of those, uh, that seed, those children? Is Jesus going to make love to a bunch of women and we're all going to become his seed? No, no. Listen to what it says. Look at 1 John chapter 5. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And then it talks about John the Baptist. Go on and keep scrolling down, please. And it's actually in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which his own, but his own did not receive him. Now look at verse 12 and onward. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will or making love, but born of God. Amen. How many children of God do I have here today? Amen. Listen, that's why it doesn't matter, culturally speaking, what we are in the racial sense, because the Bible teaches there's one race, the human race, and then when it comes to the spiritual sense, it doesn't matter what we are in our cultural background, because now there's only one race, the God kind of race. I'm a God kind of race now, amen? I'm a stranger and an alien to the half Italian Polish people out there or to the other Italians and Polish people. I'm not in that racial identity in that culture anymore. Now I'm in the culture of Christ. You all get that? So we all either identify with the sinner Adam, we're in the culture of the world through all of those different manifestations, or we, we come to identify with Jesus Christ as the second Adam, as the reboot to humanity. And that's how we become children of God. Now looking back at that passage in John chapter 12, this is amazing. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Oftentimes, uh, people think that Son of Man speaks strictly towards his humanity, and the title Son of God speaks to his divinity, but that's not true. Both of them speak towards each other. The Son of God speaks towards his humanity because he's a son and he's begotten. But he's not begotten in the sense of created. He's eternally coming from the Father. And so when he comes to earth, he demonstrates how he has always come from the Father. So it also speaks to his humanity and what he's going to do for us, the Son title there. But the Son of Man speaks towards his divinity because when they see him, which we'll get to here in a moment in Daniel, he is divine and he is fine. Can I hear an amen? But the, but the situation that rocks Daniel is that he looks just like a man. He looks just like me, but he's getting worshiped just like God. So the Son of Man also speaks towards his divinity. You're going to see that in just a moment. But it's important to notice why he's using that title. He's using that title because for them, that was the most popular title for the Messiah. The Son of God title was not the most popular. It was used, and David even borrowed it for a while, but he was a type and shadow of Jesus to come and the true Son of God. But there there was this idea that one like us, one like a man, would come and accomplish all of these things and do all of these things as a man and would do it on behalf of humanity. That's why Jews to this day still miss the nature of the Messiah because they only see the humanity of what the, the Messiah is supposed to do. They don't understand that for this to be complete, God himself had to provide the lamb. He had to do it in flesh. And that's where you got that perfect union, God and man. 
He's not using his God abilities to do everything. He's living as a man, but he doesn't stop being God. And that's what makes Jesus so special. And so when he uses that title about himself, he's using the one that they would easily recognize. Now, notice what he says next after he talked about the seeds and them dying and him producing Christ followers, Christians. Verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it. This is why I have to understand about seeds. It's talking about you and me because now he brings it to us. Why didn't he just say, look, man, I'll get with that guy in a minute. I'm going to send the Holy Ghost, and by the Holy Ghost, I'm going to come visit everybody. No, he says, it's, it's, it's time for me to be glorified, and it's good for this seed to die because when this seed dies, it multiplies. And now he looks at all of these potential seeds, and he tells them how you are now going to live as a representative of Christ, how you now are going to be a Christ-like person bringing him everywhere you go. And the first thing you need to know about that is you can't love your life. You can't put your life above his plan to be a seed. You can't put your dreams, my ideas, your ideas, all of these plans that we make, we can't put it above his plan. He says anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be suicidal and depressed. It just means you have to have seen the end of humanity, and you have to hate it. In other words, you have to hate the idea that one day you're going to die. How many hate that part of life, that one day you're going to die? How many hate that you can't control people in this world to do what's right, that they're still going to be evil no matter how good you want to be? So you need to hate that. How many of you hate when you make mistakes? How many of you hate them? How many know sometimes you're your worst enemy? See, that's the life he's talking about hating. And it does come natural to most of us. But here's the pride of a sinner. The pride of a sinner doesn't want to admit it. The pride of a sinner will complain about it. The pride of a sinner will talk about how miserable they are on their job and how all of these relationships break and they don't last. And the sinner will tell you about how they don't love the world and, and, and it's always hurting them and politicians can't be trusted. They'll complain about it, but they won't go so far as to say, I give up and let Jesus take the wheel. Because they still love the idea of being in control, uh, in control of their life. See, God's offering them a new life, and it's a better life, but they would rather keep a hold of their life. The example that I always give is that uh, example here. If we you know, have somebody in the church, I say, does anybody have a penny? And then somebody comes up with a penny, and then I'll pull out my credit card, which is worth a lot more than a penny. And then I'll say, hold your hand tight with that penny in it, and then try to get this credit card in that same hand. And you can't do it. You have to let go of what you got to get what's, what God has. You have to let go of what's in your hand to get what's in God's hand. Amen? To get what is in God's hand. And you see, the problem is, as, as people know it ain't right, they, they know they can't do a lot with this penny. But whatever they can do, they become prideful over. You know, maybe they, they agree with you they're going to die. They understand that the world is wicked. Oh, but they got 10,000, you know, TikTok followers. But it's still just a dirty little penny. Amen? How many, know lady, how many know men, all those women you see on TikTok still have to go number two? Come on. I know it's gross, but get, put that in your mind and put out pornography. Amen? They're just women. They're just human beings. Are you listening? You look at half of them, now they're made out of plastic and glue and all types of stuff being shot up in them. Amen? And the same thing with these men, these bodybuilder contests, man. You know, I think on Instagram I, I watched one for two seconds. Now they keep sending them to me, you know? I keep watching all these dudes flexing and all that, man. 
How many know most of those guys can't even, you know, put on their shirts, man? I was watching this one guy. He needed help to put on his shirt. His arms and his lats were so big. Seriously, he had to have somebody help him every day put on his shirt because he couldn't get it over his head. Now, I know not all of them are like that, but I'm just teasing like that. And then they have to shoot themselves up all these drugs and everything just to get to compete with the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. It's not real. Now, even if you're, you're natty, as they say, even if you're natural, come on, I've got some natural men up in this place. Come on. Even there, don't you know it goes away? I'm inspired by people 50, 60 years old, still, you know, looking good, but it goes away, man. You know, uh, pray for my father. He had a minor heart attack over the week, uh, and the call was, you know, he felt something was wrong. He goes to get checked, and it was a heart attack, you know. Uh, it could have been a different call. Could have lost my dad, and my dad was a stud at one time. Come on, somebody. Y'all going to die. They're going to die. But you see, like I said, they, they won't admit it in a way that humbles themselves. Oh, yeah, I'm going to die, but I'm not thinking about it now. I'm thinking about my TikTok followers. The Bible says you got to look at that life and just hate it. And if you're honest with yourself, you already hate it. That's why you have to put on all them wigs and extensions and makeup and everything. Come on, ladies, love the skin you're in. That's why, dudes, we always have to get in shape and do this. And I'm not saying let yourself go in that way. But, but we're, we're never happy with the skin that we're in. It's never clean enough. You know, I've got, I got acne. I'm almost 46 years old. I still got acne. What is happening to me, you know? And, and, and all of these complaints. But you know what? God said, hate it. Hate, hate what all of this looks like because it's fallen. Don't hate that you're made in the image of God. You're beautiful, wonderfully created. This is not a contradiction. But understand this. Everything that you see right now, you're going to lose, and it doesn't always get better. It gets worse. Sometimes we say to everybody, oh, it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. Not always. <laughs> it doesn't always get better. For, for You see those uh, plane crash, th those two planes crash in Dallas? Somebody might have said to them, today's going to be a great day. Well, not for you two. <laughs> Right? Not for those planes. Six people, I think. Maybe three in each plane at, a, you know, an air show. Think about how much fun that is. I know some of the people here want to become pilots, and we like to fly or get in planes and stuff. Imagine how fun that was for them that day. You know, they wake up in the morning. We're going to fly planes. Man, you're going to do this. You're going to zig. I'm going to zag. We're going to do this together. And before you know it, you're done. Don't you hate that about life? You could be an expert pilot, and the dude flying behind you mess it all up. I hate that about life. I hate that I'm good at it, life and skills and driving, but I can mess myself up. I could die in a car accident tomorrow. See, the Bible says you got to hate this part of life, you know, that idea of what life really is without God. It's hopeless in one sense, is it not? You know, you look at it, and all of our accomplishments, they fade away. It all turns to dust. But notice this right here. Instead of us doing what Kurt Cobain did, one of my uh, heroes of my sinner days, you know, when I was a sinner back in those days, not yesterdays, but sinner days. How many have a BC to them before Christ, okay? You know, Kurt Cobain just took his life. And I was reading his suicide note the other day, and it's so depressing. But it's like, man, this, you know, he was in a right mind when he did it. Now, people say, well, you know, you can't do it in a right mind. Technically, you have to be mentally ill or this and that. I don't buy all those excuses. I, I'm not ignorant to what mental illness is addiction as at the same time I'm not letting everybody off on that you know I believe sin, uh, sin uh, makes a fool out of you and it deceives you and he was deceived but as I was reading that you know what I was thinking to myself I wrote probably something like that many different times but you know the only difference is I didn't take my life I understood what he understood you know 
and all the fame you get, it, it doesn't change you, you know. He talked about he hated being on stage and all of that, but he knew people loved it, so he did it. You know, I understood that. I'm not saying I was the most popular kid in class, but I was popular, and I understood it. You know, being popular doesn't fill your soul, makes you feel empty at the end of the day. You know, you can't keep taking all those people with you. You know, you can't walk around with the laugh track everywhere you go. You know, I was a class clown, right? And then he was talking about money and fame, and he said he never really wanted it, and it just made his life more difficult because he now had to think about all those things, you know. And he had enough common sense that at the end of the letter, he talks to uh, his wife, Courtney, you know. He says, you know, take care of the kids, you know, let, you know, don't let them turn out the way I did, protect them from this. And I think to myself, man, what a hypocrite, man. You want this woman now to take care of your kids and make sure they don't kill themselves, which, by the way, if you have a parent that commits suicide, as a child, your rate of suicide goes up exponentially. You see, but that's what world is like. That's what the world is like. But yet they don't want Jesus. Rather put a shotgun to their mouth, blow their brains out, than come to Jesus. I'm not saying I'm any better. I'm just saying I'm better off because of Jesus. And I just wish the world today would see there's a solution to this mess. You know, there's a solution. You don't have to keep up with the Kardashians. Keep up with Jesus, amen? You don't have to compete for followers. Man, follow Jesus. You don't have to worry about what's going on in Facebook. Put your face in his book. I know they get old, but you can say amen to these preacher jokes up here. That's how you're supposed to live. That's how I'm supposed to live. And it doesn't matter how many times I beautify this body, put clothes on this body. Man, it's going to die. But Jesus is going to take me to be in his presence, amen, where I never die, where I live forever, where I get to have the joy of his presence all the days of my eternal life. But we don't, you know, I just say as humanity, we don't want it. If we can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, snort it, shoot it up, you know, put it on Facebook. If we don't, you know, if you can't do that, then we don't want it. And I just feel sorry for this world. I do. Because I used to think just like them, man. I used to think just like them. Now I realize it was a mirage. I hate that part of life. My, my worst nightmare, I had a nightmare the other day that I was turning my back on Jesus, man. Whew, it was a nightmare. I was in that room before I was going to preach trying to convince myself I still believe in God. And I was like, dear Lord, that's a nightmare. Some of you all wonder how real that dream's going to come about. It won't come about in Jesus' name, okay? But I just thought to myself, like a world without God, you know, you get up. And, and the light's on, you know, the sun is out. You're not in darkness anymore. I could see the world clearly. I'm like, what am I going to replace him with? <laughs> I don't believe in him no more. What do I believe in now? <laughs> I don't believe in nothing now. Well, that's the way you're supposed to be. It's just be brave, face the world of nothingness. Man, to hell with that. Well, you need a crutch. Yeah, I need a crutch. I need Jesus, if you didn't know that. And so do you. The prideful act like they're better than us. Well, I don't need them like, I, like you all need them. I'm not, I, I'm not religious, man. You're just stupid. You're just stupid. That's the only difference. I know that I need them. It's just, you know, like the person you, you hang out with, man, you know they're broke, busted, and disgusted, but they don't want to tell you, you know. They don't want to tell you. They're faking and all that. And then you got to ask them, man, can I help you? Can I? No, man, no, man, everything's okay. And then you get real with them, man. Come on, be honest with me. Yeah, I lost my job. I'm not doing so good. Can you help me out? You know what I'm saying, man? That's just pride. The world acting like they don't need Jesus. That's just pride. Oh, I'm just going to go on doing what I'm doing. Look at this person. They don't have God, and they turned out all right. No, it's just a lie. It's a facade. Did they find a way to beat death? No, man, they didn't find nothing of the sort. All they are doing is pretending that that, that grave is not going to call their name. And it will. And here's the thing. After that grave calls their name, God's calling them up to judgment. 
because you didn't get here by accident. This is not here by accident. This is a life that you were given to live for Jesus, and you should look at the way it's been done and say, I don't like it. So the Bible says this, anyone who loves their life, you just want to hold on to it, you're going to lose it. If you look at your life and go, man, without God in my life, I hate this world. I don't want anything to do with it. God says, you can keep life and you'll have it for eternity. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Somebody say, serve Jesus. Amen. See, we serve Jesus. And that's where now you get to the next group of people who will say everything right. They'll go, you know what? I agree with you, Pastor. Life without God is meaningless, and Jesus is the Son of God, and He's the right way to go. There's no other way to heaven except by Him. They'll say all of that with you. But then if you ask them, do you serve Jesus? They'll look at you like you're crazy. And then they'll repeat themselves. Oh, I love them. I didn't ask you if you love them. I asked them if you serve them. I'm asking you if you serve them. Oh, well, I go to church. I didn't ask you if you just go to church. I asked you if you serve him. You see, serving Jesus, it's not just showing up once a week, cracking open your Bible. It's not just something you do every now and then. Serving Jesus is a lifestyle. Serving Jesus is what you do when you get up in the morning and say, thank you, Jesus, for this day. How may I serve you? You come to Jesus Hallelujah. Come on. We just went to a nice restaurant, me and this couple over here, and they came at us like this. They had, they, they had that kind of servant heart at that restaurant. How may I serve you? What can I do for you? How can I stuff you full of food until you don't want anymore? Amen. This is how I come to Jesus every morning. Jesus, how may I serve you? How may I serve you, Jesus? May I take your order today, Jesus? How do you want me to serve you on my job, Jesus? How do you want me to serve you in my family? How do you want me to uh, express your love today, Jesus? How may I serve you? That's every day with Jesus. And you know what? I'll say it like this. I would rather serve Jesus than reign with the devil. People say it all the time as the sinner says. They say, I would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. No, brother or sister, you don't want that. Let's test it right now. Let's start setting parts of your body on fire and see how you like it. Because nobody in hell is having a party. When I talk to the most wicked of wicked people, and I meet them all the time, Satanists and so forth, and when I talk to them, they have this idea of what hell is according to some cartoon they saw or whatever happened on a horror show or something. Like they think there's two equal powers going back and forth, good and evil, and then we're going to be on the good side of things having our time, and they're going to be on the bad side of things having their time. Kind of like, you know, even like Halloween, you know, some just want to dress up like superheroes, Bible characters do their thing, others want to be witches and warlocks, but both got candy, both got to do what they want. That's a devil's lie. I I said, that's a devil's lie. Can I hear an amen from this church? The devil's lying to them because the devil knows when he is punished, there will be no party. Outer darkness, aloneness, isolation. Every sinner will be isolated because even friendship and camaraderie is a gift of God. And because they rejected the God who gives gifts, they don't even get that gift. They don't get the gift of camaraderie. They don't get the gift of laughter. You see, the wicked, they laugh at things too, don't they? They have fun. They, they look like they're having fun in, in the outside appearance. They laugh. They tell their jokes, and they do their wicked things, and they have their camaraderie. In hell, there's none of that. There's no camaraderie. There is no laughter. There is no sense of peace like, oh, I feel content in the life that I'm living or in eternity. There is no contentment. The Bible says the worm dies not, and the fire does not go out. 
And the Bible says that they will be alone in outer darkness. And so what the devil tries to do is to trick them to serve him temporarily for a reward at the end that they'll never get. And yet, now watch this. Everybody get this. The story of Job, what does it teach us? That God says, serving me is worth even you losing everything. You see, Satan has to bribe people to serve him. Jesus tells you serving me is going to cost you suffering. Think about it. That's why I love the story of Job, because you can almost imagine, you know, in the middle of the story of Job, while Job is not losing his faith, him nudging the devil, that accuser of the brethren, and pointing to Job and saying, who do you got like him? You see, your people only serve you because you give them everything. Mine keeps serving me even though you've took everything from him. See, God's people are like Job. They understand that this world will come with the price tag of suffering. They understand that because of Satan and his lies, that going against the flow, going against the stream of the devil is going to cost them something. They're not going to just bow down to the devil and take his kingdom because they know his kingdom cannot last forever. Remember? Jesus was tempted with that. Satan said, hey, bow down and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Jesus didn't call him a liar and say, no, you didn't have them. Satan had the authority. He was the God of that world. And he is still, if you don't worship Jesus, he has authority over this world with his powers and his principalities. And yet Jesus didn't say he's a liar. No, he said, worship God and serve him alone. And so we see here that true life is found in serving God. Now, at the same time, before we think of this like, you know, being monks, you know, moving out somewhere into the mountains, and uh, one uh, Greek Orthodox monk boasted that he lived in a, in a village where he never met a woman. He died, his, he lived and he died without ever meeting a woman. He was so pure. That's what he said. How many know that's a bad day? Amen. I, amen. Even if I don't get married, I got to at least see a woman. But he never even wanted to see a woman, okay? That's not what you have to do. You don't have to try to keep up with these, uh, these monks and try to say, well, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. No, the Bible says that he gives us the desires of our heart, that he gives us life into its fullness to enjoy. So you are supposed to enjoy your family and marital relationships and your children and vacations. The beaches weren't just given for the sinners. They were given for the saints, amen? You were meant to be successful in all that you do, blessed coming in and blessed coming out, and be a light unto the rest of the people to show them what a Christian really looks like when they get their shine on. At the same time, you're doing that for Jesus. And so he said, if you're faithful, he'll make you fruitful. And he doesn't always promise you success, but he promises that he'll always be with you. Not every venture a Christian takes will be successful. That goes for anybody in life. But I have to also say it towards Christians because sometimes we think now that we got faith, we read the Bible a few times like a fortune cookie, we're never going to fail. And then a Christian like that experiences their first troubles in life, and then they give up on Jesus and say, man, this thing didn't work. They almost want to you know, shake it, slap it a few times and say, come on, now work. And it doesn't work like that. Christianity is not about you merely having success, though I believe God will bless you and make you successful, but not everything will be successful. Some of the life lessons you'll get in life will be from your failures and your mistakes. But will you still stick with Jesus, or will you want to take the easy way out? 
You know, let's say that you're in a business right now that's competing with all of these other businesses that are promoting the LGBT agenda. They got all their advertisements in that direction, and you're competing with them, and your competitors want to use that against you. You know, you have a choice to make. Well, I can succumb to that pressure and now start putting out the ads with the rainbows and all those things. Let's say you want to start a cell phone company. You know, I can start doing that same thing, or I can stay with family values and Christian ethics and trust God, and I believe God will make you successful. Now, it doesn't mean every victory you're going to win, and it doesn't mean that every time you tried it, it's going to work. But I'm saying if God called you to do it and you stick with it, he's going to bless you. But are you willing to go through the hard times? Amen? And it goes into our everyday life as well. Do we want the easy way out, or do we want to go God's way where it's worth it? He didn't always say it would be easy, but he said it would be worth it. When we carry his yoke that is easy, what that means is it's it's easy to understand and trust that God has got our back, but it doesn't always feel as easy as it looks. In other words, I can watch some of you lift weights, and you'll make it look easy. You put that weight on me, it's going to get hard instantly, right? But you can train me how to get it to that point, and if I don't give up, I'll get to where you're at. And that's why he said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. That doesn't mean we don't grow and get stretched now. It just means I'm going to show you how to lift it like how I lift it. But you're going to see some sweat coming down. You're going to feel some calluses on your hand. There is a work to do by faith in Jesus' name, amen? Faith is not without works. Faith without works is dead. True faith has works. Amen? Amen. So then he says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And it's so beautiful to think about that because now we get to be where he's at. When you serve Jesus, you get to be in the father's house and have the relationship with him. I remember growing up and having a relationship with my pastor because my dad served in the church. And because of that, I got to get close to the man of God, the woman of God, and I got to understand how they do things. And I got to learn from them. Same thing in Bible college. As the, the professors began to have relationships with students, they made themselves available to everybody, but they bent over backwards for those that were servants in the school, and they always wanted to make sure that they made time for them first because they saw the efforts that they were putting in. Can I hear somebody say, faith? Come on, favor ain't fair. Amen. But you can be favored if you do what the other person does. It's not fair in the sense of you don't get bumped up the same way. You're going to get leapfrogged. And then people are going to look at you going, well, that's not fair. But it's because of favor. Favor isn't fair in that way. But if someone will do what you did, they'll get favored in the same way. See, God says in that way it's fair. Everybody has a chance to be blessed. But when the blessings come out, it doesn't look fair to the world. I shouldn't be as peaceful as I am married with six kids. Y'all want me to lose my mind so I can look more like you. You want me to be that stressed out cat meme. I'm a father of six and I can't hold it together. No, I make it look easy. Why? Because I've been serving them for a while. I've been trusting him for a while. It doesn't mean I don't have to spank. It doesn't mean I don't give timeouts or situations don't go. Uh, that doesn't mean they always go my way. But I make it look easy. Some of y'all stressed out with one. It's okay. I've been there. But hang around with Jesus. He'll make it easy. Okay, but it doesn't look fair to you. It's because favor's not fair. It's because I've been walking with him this long and now he favors me this way. If you want the leapfrogs of parenting like I have had, do what I did and hang out with him. Amen? 
Be around Jesus because today's uh, testimony of parents always needing a glass of wine, always being stressed out, that's not godly. You need, to ha- you need to learn how to soar on the wind like an eagle instead of hanging around chickens. Amen? And so you might look at the eagle as a chicken and go, well, that's not fair. Well, get born again as an eagle and learn how to fly like one. Amen? Don't let chickens keep you on the ground where they're, they're at. And chickens walk in their own feces. My grandfather used to have a chicken coop. It's always got feces on the ground because they just walk in their own feces. Don't be where the chickens are. Be where the eagles are. Don't say it's not fair. Just do what they did in Jesus' name. Amen? So I get to be where the Father's now. You get to be where the Father's at. How many of you serving Jesus today? Amen. Now Jesus is going to tell us what it's going to cost him because some people think that when Jesus went to the cross, it didn't cost him anything, that he's going to be there kind of faking it. No. When Jesus took on flesh, as we're learning in Hebrews, the second service passage we're going through, he felt what we felt. And now he tells you what he's feeling. My soul is troubled. <laughs> How many know that, that would trouble you knowing what's coming ahead? My soul is troubled. You know, he's feeling nervous. He's feeling queasy. He's feeling the butterflies in his stomach. He understood what was about ready to come. You might even say he's feeling fear, okay? All of these things are coming upon him. That's what I think is in the word trouble. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, say it with me. Father, glorify your name. Some of y'all need to look at the troubles that you're facing right now and say, Lord, I'm not even praying that you take these troubles away because you brought me here for this battle. I pray right now you give me strength to win the battle. It's for this reason you brought me here. You see, some people want to show up to the scene of David and Goliath and go, oh, Satanas, get away from me, Goliath. Get away from me. See, that's not always what you're supposed to pray is for the trouble to end. Can I hear an amen? You're supposed to look at some of your situations and say, I got some rocks for you. Come on over here, Goliath. I'm coming running at you, man. You got to look at some of your troubles saying, I'm not running away just saying, oh, devil, get away from me. No, I'm picking up, I'm picking up some rocks saying, let's go. It's for this hour that I was put here to whoop you in front of everybody. I know, I know, I know we all want an easy road. Nobody wants cancer, but somebody might have to get it to beat it in Jesus' name. I know nobody wants to go through a divorce, but somebody might have to get it so that you can have another marriage and teach people how to do it right. My, my family on their second marriage, my, my mom and dad each were married before they met each other. Now they're making 50 years in that second marriage, and I'm a product of it. I know I'm not, I know that everyone here does not want evil to come upon them, but there may be a day of evil that you have to face. And it's not going to run away from you. And you're not just going to be able to look at the evil and simply say, get away. You're going to have to look at that evil situation and say, I was made to face this. I was made to go through this. It was for this very purpose that I was brought here. The world may be messed up, but God is cleaning it up. Amen? My mess is going to become a message. My test is going to be a testimony. That's up to you how you want to see it. But I believe this is what God does for us sometimes. I believe it because I've been in those situations where I've fasted and I've prayed and I've rebuked the devil and Goliath is still sitting there looking at me. Well, what am I going to do now? Might as well pick up some rocks and let's get it on. Father, glorify your name. It's time. Whether I live or I die, one thing is for sure. I can't stay here no more. You have talked your smack long enough. 
Oh, come on, somebody. Has anybody ever fought a battle in the name of Jesus and seen victory come? Father, glorify your name. That needs to be the heart cry of every person today facing something that has troubled your soul. And don't let anybody say that you can't talk about your soul being troubled. That's not faith. How many know Jesus had faith, but he could talk about his soul being troubled? Sometimes I talk to faith people. They're so spooky, they're weird. Brother, you look sick. No, I'm not sick. I'm healed in Jesus' name. Just tell me you're sick, and then we'll pray for you. No, I can't tell you that. i got to speak the word. Man, don't be dumb. No, he healed me by his stripes. It looks like you're going to die. Well, no, I shall live in the name of the Lord. Man, confess your mess so he can turn it into a message. Amen? You don't have to worry about this thing being like bad karma, okay? Jesus was willing to admit, my soul is troubled. This is not good right now. Things are not going well for me. Every dude always saying it's a good day. Stop lying. Tell somebody in your life what this day really is. My soul is troubled. Your friend might look at you weird, but he'll begin to understand. How you doing, dude? Man, my soul is troubled. (laughs) Okay, well, tell me about it. How many brothers would be ready to hear a man say that and get to learn about why that man's soul is troubled? We're not going to run away from you. Men, stop lying to each other. Amen. And women, stop gossiping about your problems. You'll talk about them. You talk about them too much and bring everybody else into them. Your problem ain't everybody else's problem either. Are you right? Come on. I'll, I'll, I'll stereotype men and women here. Amen? Men don't want to talk about their problem. Women will talk about it to the point they'll bring in everybody they can into that problem. I know not every woman's like that. And even some men are gossipers, but you better face your problems. In Christianity, you have to understand that God wants you to glorify his name in the midst of your troubling. Sometimes we think God cares more about our feelings than he does his glory, and that's not true. I know some of you want to have a penny patty party, you know. Well, it's not fair. It's not fair. It doesn't matter if it's fair right now. You have a choice. Are you going to go through your troubles and glorify his name, or are you going to be ashamed to his name, you know? Are you going to be an embarrassment to the name of Christ? You're going to be a proverb. You're going to be a lesson one way or the other, either of a testimony of faith and an overcomer or somebody who got defeated that God's going to point to and say, don't be like that one. Why do you think Judas is in the Bible? So we can point to him and say, don't be like that one. And then people get mad in the church. Just be happy. I don't name your name like the Bible names your name. Amen. But I'll certainly point you out to your friends that they ask me. Well, what do you think about so-and-so? We don't see him anymore. Don't be like them. Be like this one. Amen. Because God's not looking for quitters. God's not looking for people that just are fair-weather friends. You're only a friend of Jesus when it goes your way. You were shouting being Jesus' best friend when you got a new job. You were shouting being Jesus' best friend when you got married, so forth and so on. Now that you got to suffer for his name, you're the first one out. Come on now. God have mercy. That's not what he made us for. He made us to glorify his name. That's why we should all say, whether by life or by death, I belong to Jesus. That's why I got it prepared, and I may be sadistic in some way, but I already got it prepared if those terrorists ever get me. This is what I'm going to say to them. By God's grace, by God's grace, may I utter these words. I'm going to say, listen here, boys, listen here. I love God more than you love your Allah, so let's get it on. I'm ready to meet him. You understand? That's what I'm going to say to them. I love my God more than you love your Allah. Let's do it now. I'm going to meet him. What can you do to that man? You can just test his words. You can torture him, string him up, behead him. But, after, I mean, he just told us he loves his God as much as I love mine more. He said he's ready to meet him. What do I have on that guy now? 
Are you listening to me? Fear should have no hold on us. I'm here to glorify his name. Let's go. What do you want to do? Let's do it. I'm not denouncing him. I'm not turning my back on him. Uh, he's, he's brought me through too much. He's been my best friend too many times. You can't tell it like I can what he's done for me. And so right now, let's go. I'm ready to meet him. Send me to heaven. Send me with the reward. Amen. Because listen, you have to have that kind of a testimony that you know him like that. You can't say that just to be sassy. I'm not trying to come up with the cool Tom Cruise line or something. I'm telling you, I'm saying that because I know that's what I depend upon. I depend upon Jesus to carry me through from this life to the next life. I have not been playing make-believe here. Father, glorify your name. I didn't, it wasn't my choice to have cancer, but if I have to go out that way, I'm going to go out glorifying your name. That's how my aunt went out. She saw people healed. She always prayed for people, and I've told you the story before, but she died of cancer. But you know what? She glorified his name all the way there, all the way to heaven, because she never stopped believing in who Jesus was. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it. I love the Father. He says, Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Woo! <laughs> I love the Father just coming right out like that. The crowd that was there heard it and said, man, it thundered. That's why we sometimes say God's voice is like thunder. Others said it must have been an angel that spoke to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. I already know him. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. See, his soul being troubled had a purpose. There was a purpose in his pain. By him going through this, he was going to bring salvation. Verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Not just Jewish people, not just good church-going people, but all people. For God so loved the world. Hallelujah. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He knew it was going to be on a cross, and he was going to be lifted up for the world to see. Whoever was on keys today, would you come, please? In closing, the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Go quickly to Daniel chapter 7. Verse 13, remember we talked about last week, the consideration of their confusion, you can't blame them. When you consider why they would be confused, it's not blameworthy. But the problem with the Jew was at this time, especially the Jewish leaders, is they weren't listening. They didn't hear what Jesus was saying. See, notice in their prophecy, in my night I looked up, Daniel speaking here, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now going back to John, do you understand their confusion again here? As we talked about it last week, they're reading those scriptures going, how are you the Messiah, the one that is supposed to rule and reign and never be destroyed? How are you supposed to be the Messiah? And yet you keep telling us you're going to die. <laughs> you keep telling us you're going to die. What is going on with that? But did he not explain to them just in a few verses earlier, if a seed does not die, it remains alone. 
He's teaching them, but they're not hearing. By God's grace, when I come back to this passage, you'll see that by this time, God is now even judging them and not even allowing them to see anymore because they've become so hard-hearted. But he's explaining it to them. We've heard from the law that when the Messiah comes, he's going to remain forever. How are you going to die and be lifted up on a cross? Who is this son of man? Jesus said in verse 35, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And notice I take the King James here from the NIV, uh, over the NIV. Shouldn't be with the word before. It should be lest. Lest darkness overtake you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you might become children of the what? The light. There's the answer. You don't get it because you're in darkness. Listen to what I'm telling you while I'm with you, and you'll never be in darkness again. But as long as you're in darkness, you're not going to know where you're going. It will be the blind leading the blind. And sadly, we know the story that they still don't get it. God judges them with a hard heart. And then the very ones who are shouting Hosanna at the beginning of this section of Scripture will then be shouting crucify him. After Jesus had said this, he had finished speaking, he left, and he hid himself from them. So why doesn't he run to see the Greeks? Because it's not yet time. He still has to be lifted up so that he can multiply himself into the body of Christ and that we can be his representatives. Why did he tell them that they needed to follow him? Because darkness was coming on the land. And if they didn't come to him as light, they would be in darkness and not know where they are going. Have you debated with people in our culture about God? And yet you realize real quickly that it doesn't work very well? Why? Because they're in darkness. It's like you're trying to describe to a blind man what the Navy Pier, you know, Ferris wheel looks like. They don't know. They, they can't see it. So you don't get mad at a blind man for being blind. You help him to see. You can't argue a blind man into sight. You need to fix the blindness. Jesus is telling us this is what they need to do first. They need to become children of light. And so my encouragement to you would be as you talk to your friends and family who are not yet in the things of God yet, get them to look at their life and the things that they hate and point them to a Jesus that says, I hate those same things, but I want to give life to you that never leaves. And then show them it's because of darkness that life now has these terrible situations. And then for those of you here today, if you're still in the darkness, repent. Ask Jesus to come into your heart so that you can enter into the light. How many now that you've been in the light of Jesus Christ, you just see things differently? How many can now say what the old timers used to say, I once was blind, but now I see? You just see things differently. It's because you're in the light. It's because it makes sense to you now. It's because God has changed your heart. And so we can't change sinners into saints without God doing the internal work. Well, we never can do it, but you get my point. The Bible says we're supposed to preach his message, but we can never see, I should say, a sinner become a saint unless they ask God to change their heart. Can we pray today for that to happen so he can glorify his name? Band and altar workers, would you come? We'll stand in just a moment, a congregation. But as they come forward, we're just going to pray where we're at. Father, I ask you to search our hearts. If there's anybody here, that doesn't yet know you, that they're still in darkness, that they would repent of their sins and be born again, come into the light. 
Father, in Jesus' name, right now, would you speak to hearts? Right now, if you've been blind and you want to see, ask Jesus to give you spiritual eyes so you can see his truth. And those of you who have already been Christians but have been discouraged by the troubles that you're facing, would you right now say, Father, glorify your name in this situation and pray it out right now. Father, glorify your name in my finances, in my marriage, on my job, in my health. And if you came here today and you want to get into the light of Christ and be a part of shining for Jesus, glorifying the Father, would you stand up with me now and give him praise as we say amen. Come on, somebody give him praise and say amen. Do it, Father, in the name of Jesus. If you came here today and you need prayer to accept Christ into your heart, these prayer workers are up here. We're going to dismiss and worship. If you came here today also as a Christian struggling and you're like, man, I don't see a way out of this. Would you let us pray for you so that Jesus can glorify the Father's name in your troubles and struggles? And last, whatever today is holding you back, whether it's a sin or a temptation.